following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that even in a short book of the Bible, you would open our hearts up to hear what we need to hear. Lord, we thank you for the book of Jude, for the way it helps us see the world we live in. Lord, we pray this all in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, last week we were going to dive into the front end of this, but I got sick, so we're going to do, we're just going to go through it as quick as we can. So we're going to go through it. Now you might say, oh, an entire book of the Bible. But if you look closely at this slide, you'll see behind learning to persevere, there's some like lighter words. That's the entirety of the book of Jude. It fits on one slide. Now the font is very small, but it's not a long book. But it has this great implication for us. Now, the book of Jude, written by Jude, or maybe at that time he might have been called Judah, and he is a brother to Jesus. And so we get this inner family dynamic. And I'm so thankful I'm not important enough to worry that Matt will ever write a book about me, because I would be worried. But what Jude is doing is he's actually connecting alongside the book of 2 Peter. So Peter writes these letters uh, angled towards Jewish believers. So Peter is writing, that's what he knows, that's who he is, and he's writing these books. And so Jude follows in the same vein. And actually, if you look at 2 Peter, you'll see a lot of similarities that it looks like probably Peter wrote to a group of people, and then Jude was like, you didn't listen to Peter, let me say it again. Now, what I love about Jude is it gives us a chance for all of us to be offended together. And I hope at some point during the sermon today, you get a little bit offended. Because here's the thing. When we look at what we're going to look at here in this book, there's a chance for us all to take and reflect and say, have I bought into something that is separate from Jesus? And that when we start seeing our idols, there's a visceral reaction for us to say, ooh, but not not me. Let me defend that thing because I really like that. You see, what's happening in the church at this time is nothing that isn't happening today. What I love about reading the New Testament and thinking about the early church is I actually find comfort when something pops up that we're dealing with today. Because sometimes there can be this romanticizing of the early church. At least I think in pastoral circles for sure where we go, if only we could be like the early church. And it's this thing that's out there and maybe we can grasp it. And then you read these letters and you go, thank God they're still humans. (laughs) And they're messing up just as much as we are. Because I find hope in that, that the people of the early church were no different from you and me. Instead, the thing that connected them was the Savior. And so what happens here in the book of Jude, and again, we're going to speed through it. So what I would have pulled apart a little bit more last week. We're going to do a little, maybe not 30,000 feet, but maybe like 15,000. 
So the first half of the book, what Jude is doing is he's talking about false teachers. And he says it like this in verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude is writing, he said, listen, there's people among you who are taking the good news of Jesus and warping it towards sensuality, which seems like a strange thing. But let's look at what that word is. In Greek, this is the word, okay, here we go. Asle, Asilagia. I promise you, I listened to it four times yesterday to make sure I nailed the pronunciation. And as soon as I looked at it here, it was out the door. But here's what we're talking about. Unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lust, we're going to skip that word, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness, insolence. Right? So this is this word that kind of covers all of that. Now let's see, remember it connects to Second Peter. Look at how Peter uses this exact same word. He says, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now we hear the word sensuality. And I would imagine most of us take that in a certain direction, right? We go, ooh, that's something I don't really want to talk about in church right now. Sensuality, right? I saw a couple of head nods there. Don't worry, because I want us to think more about the root of what sensuality means. It's not just about some kind of sexual aspect, but instead sensuality comes from the base root of our senses. It's those things in us, those senses, the looking, seeing, tasting, touching, feeling, but then also our our inner feelings. So this idea of sensuality, what we are looking at here is not just a sexual idea, but instead it's a sensuality of saying, we seek after the things of the senses, the things that make us feel good, the things that are for our benefit as opposed to the benefit of where Christ has called us. And so what Jude is talking about here is he's saying there are people among you who have come in who are saying they're teachers of Christ following after him, but instead what they are teaching is sensuality. How to follow your senses. And in our world today, this is incredibly prevalent. Just as it was when Jude wrote this to the early church, that there are people who would come in and tell you the story of Jesus is about power, is about politics, is about social justice. And they take and they warp the story of Jesus and they make it about their agenda. And why I think this needs to offend all of us a little bit is we like finding people we agree with. We like finding messages that touch home with us. Now, that's not bad. And it's not bad for us to say, hey, I want to hear, I want to grow, I want those things. But when the message becomes Jesus and, well, now we have a problem. And this happens 
on the right and this happens on the left and it happens so far in between that as Jude writes this, he wants to remind us that there will be people out there who are going to try to step into the faith to try and tell us that this faith is about Jesus and. It's about Jesus and voting for the right person. It's about Jesus and doing the right things. It's about Jesus and liking the right things, following the right way. Do it. Now listen, this is why this is a tension thing and why we should feel some offense because there is sin in us that says, yes, it is. It is about Jesus and. It's about Jesus and I have to live this way. It's about Jesus and I have to tell others what to do. It's about Jesus and, and we build this story around that. But notice how Jude is gonna talk about this a few verses later. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they are feast, as they feast without fear. They are shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up darkness Sorry, wild waves of the sea, casting up to the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. I love when a writer of the Bible gets poetic to like really put someone in their place. Right? He's like, you want to know who these people are? They're hidden reefs. Now, this idea of love feast sounds really strange. What this is here is they, they, it was called an agape feast, a love feast. It was the idea of, we're coming together, we're eating a meal as the body of Christ and what joy we find there. And we could probably draw a line then also to, to the Lord's Supper to say we're all coming, we're the body of Christ joining together. And so these are hidden reefs. This week I was listening to the story um, of a B-17 crew from World War II. And this crew had been kind of the hotshot pilot and his, not quite hand-picked, but the guys who were crazy enough to join him. And he was based in the Pacific and he wanted to get action. So they kept volunteering for all the recon missions that no one would volunteer for to the point where they kind of became this problem for their commanding officers because they kept completing the mission in the way they thought best, maybe not necessarily in the way they were ordered to. But finally, they were the group of people that when there was an invasion coming into one of these atolls, one of these islands out in the Pacific, and there was a group of reefs just underneath the water that the landing ships and the Navy would have trouble spotting. And so the mission that they were sent on was they needed to fly along this reef, this island, for 20 minutes in a straight line, same level, because the camera system they were using had to hold in an exact spot. And the incredible story is even though they lose members of their crew, they get the pictures and they spot all of these hidden reefs so that when the invasion force comes in, 
none of the boats get hung up on these hidden obstacles. When Jude writes and says they are hidden reefs, what he is saying is they're going to sound good. What they're saying is going to draw you in. But what's hidden below the surface is an obstacle that is going to hang you up, that's going to slow you down. And not only are they that, they're shepherds feeding themselves. They're shepherds who are looking, instead of protecting the flock, they're saying, how do I get what's due to me? How do I get what I deserve? I love this. They are fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. They're worthless. They're wild waves of the sea, just casting foam. And they're wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Jude is not mincing words. There is a temptation for us to look at some false teaching because it feels good for us. It feels good for us to hear that if we do what God tells us to do, we're going to get something in return. That if we follow Jesus, well, then we're going to receive health and wealth. And sometimes it doesn't go as far as what we call the prosperity gospel, which is, you know, if you follow Jesus, you're going to get rich. Sometimes it doesn't go that far. It's just this promise that's been made that says, if you follow Jesus, you're going to get the picket fence and the house and the family and those things of the American dream. Sometimes it's the idea that says, if we aren't serving our neighbor exactly the way we're supposed to, well, then what's this about? And Jesus is transformed, not from the Savior, but instead the worker of social change. And then there are others who would take Jesus and put him in a place that says, the one who says my kingdom is not of this world is seeking to establish Zion here. That if only we do the right things, then God will reestablish his kingdom on the earth. And all of these are hidden reefs where we can get hung up, where we can lose our way. Because what these false teachers are going to try and do is point in a way that says it's Jesus and this. It's Jesus plus these things. And the reason I think we can feel offended is because we think it is. There are times in our lives where we look and we go, yeah, Jesus gave me my salvation. But I just got to add a little bit more. And sometimes it can come out of a good place where we want to care for people. We want to establish things in our country and in our localities that are a blessing to people. It can be us wanting to serve others. The problem is when we lose tension is when we run into the reef. When these false teachers will come in and start whispering in our ears this falsehood 
Because I'll tell you what, as I've been prepping for this summer, this summer, this sermon, over the past couple weeks, it's like the Lord's kind of put some things in my way of where I'm hearing it across the spectrum where people will say, oh yeah, it's this and this and this. And I hear people saying, if you don't vote the right way, then you can't possibly be a Christian. Show me where that shows up in the Bible. But I've also heard people say, well, what the church is about is we come together and we're a people that we come together and the point is for us to gather together because then we go out and we do all the things we're supposed to do through the week and that's the purpose of the church is to tell people what to do throughout the week. And I'm like, you're so close and you're missing the mark. Because the tension we have to live in is to say, yes, as a Christian person, I am obligated to vote my conscience and to follow that. As a Christian person, I am called to look and see my neighbors in need and not turn the other way, but instead to step in. But as soon as I take those things and make it about what Jesus is, I've lost my way. Because what you're gonna find is no matter how many times you vote the right way, there's not salvation. No matter how many times you show up to serve the poor or the lost or those far away, there is not salvation. And what happens is that false teachers come in and they will yell and scream. And what you find out is they are shepherds feeding themselves. And it's less about the good that is supposed to happen and instead more about what they want to get. And Jude reminds us in the early church that this is happening. The grift is already coming. Now the reason he warns us is because he's calling us to persevere. And this is what he's gonna say later in the chapter. Can you pull that up for me, Will? It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. There is a deep-seated temptation in us to seek Jesus and. And there are people in this world who understand that they can make an agenda, they can make money, they can make power out of that falsehood. And what Jude is arguing is he's reminding us to say, listen, the mercy of Jesus is here now. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to vote it. You don't have to do. The mercy of Jesus exists right now. But notice that when he says that, he then says, and have mercy on those who doubt. What he's reminding us is that the power of who Jesus is is not in about us doing something. It's about what he did. And when we live in that, we watch it transform us. Because listen, when you live in that 
truth that Jesus is the one for you, you're gonna start looking and saying, how do I love my neighbor? And it might be small and it might be extremely large, but the Lord is going to push in that moment to say, listen, this is what you do. It will push us to look at everything we do through that lens, our politics, our service, our love, will be viewed through this lens that says, at the end of the day, the truth for me is that Jesus has already done it. It is not Jesus and, it is Jesus, period. And the way that works in life is that then instead of our own glory, instead of us gaining something, the cross becomes the center of our lives. And I'll credit Pastor Mark and Larry Wright, who I talked to a week ago about this stuff, and they shared they had been talking about the way of Jesus is not a beginning and an ending, but instead it's circular. You start at the cross and you come back to the cross. And in fact, it might even be a little bit of a spiral that keeps leading deeper and deeper into that truth. That for us, as we look towards false teachers... We can identify it when they take and they say it's Jesus and. Now listen, I will tell you and I will stand up here and call you out to say, you need to be loving your neighbor. You need to be in your communities. You need to be, but not because it's your salvation, but because your salvation informs all of those things. The day that I start preaching, that it's like, listen, Jesus, but you need to do a few extra things to get there, is the day you guys should have a church meeting and say, all right, Pastor Ted needs a break. Tell him to go take a nap and come back. Because our joy and the fulfilled life of following Christ says, yes, we make change in the world. Yes, we do all of those things, but we do them because of the love Jesus has for us. And we can be this strange people that says we can identify these things and be in the middle of it all because our salvation doesn't come from us. The amount of times I have heard in the past week listening, preparing for this sermon of people who would would identify as false teachers talking and being blatant about saying, oh yeah, your salvation is the starting point, but then you have to do, and they fill in this list of the things you have to do to earn it. And I have heard it from both sides, and I've heard it from places I wasn't expecting to hear it, and places I definitely was expecting to hear it. And it's this thing of saying, this is the enemy bringing lies against us to try and pull us away from the foundational fact that today, right now, and forevermore, the saving grace of Jesus is free, and that's what changes us. That's the power of the mercy given to us. Now, yes, the Spirit's going to challenge us, and my prayer is that he's going to push us further and further outside of our comfort zones to love people, to care for people, to stand for truth, that he's going to tell us all of those things. But what we can't 
ever do is replace the gospel with that. And we have to be able to identify that there are people out there that are actively working to take the good news of Jesus and turn it into their gospel. And this will happen in churches and it will happen in conferences and it will happen in state capitals and national capitals and it will happen across the board because what people have figured out is they can use this power that they see in the Bible to turn people to them instead of to Jesus. And so for us, identifying false teachers is important. Now notice, I'm not naming anything. and I'm doing that intentionally. I could stand up here and just write a list, right? I could have just a running list, like, you know, credits to a movie. Here are the things. But here's what I believe. I believe that you as people of faith can take this, digest it, and understand where to apply it. And I think there are gonna be some places that you're just gonna clap. And you're gonna be like, that person is a false teacher and I knew it. But I also hope there are gonna be some places where you go, ooh, that's hitting close to where I live. Because the truth is, I love this, have mercy on doubters. On those who doubt. Because right now, there's this, I don't know if you want to call it a movement or idea. It's called deconstruction. Deconstruction is this idea of taking your faith, pulling it apart. And then a lot of things we've heard about are people then leaving the faith. But there's also this movement of people who are staying in the faith, but they're becoming ultra-legalistic. Now, I personally think we all should at some point in our lives deconstruct our faith because scripture tells us to. It says you will go from milk to solid food. That doesn't happen without some in-between. Parents of infants, you know. Milk to solid food is a messy time. But you see, when we have peace and hope, and we say, listen, my hope's Jesus, we can meet people as they encounter that. And instead of leaving the faith or going towards legalism, we can call them back to Jesus. Listen, I think this is one of the incredible benefits of confirmation. I was talking with Becky about it a couple weeks ago, where we want to give our kids space to ask questions. Because what we want to be are faithful teachers. We want to answer questions as best we can and give a chance to struggle and grow together because the point is Jesus and what he has done for us. And Jude's 25 verses are set up to remind us that there will be those who try to take and wrestle the message of Christ and make it about what they want to gain platform, to gain power, to gain notoriety, to gain, and you fill in the blank. And our job as Christians is to identify that and say, no, 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 no. This isn't about our glory. This isn't about our power. This is about the mercy of Jesus given for us. And I think it's important that when we recognize, when we say that, 
there's a little false teacher in all of us. There's a little bit of ourselves that wants to believe, oh no, maybe this will be about me. Maybe this will be about what I want in my power, in my platform. I'm not immune to it. Mine just looks really lame. When I came out of seminary, I thought everyone's going to listen to my sermon podcasts. Like, isn't that the lamest thing you've ever thought of? And listen, I am thankful that the Lord burned that out of me and that he continues to burn that out of me. Because what I never want to be known as is a shepherd who feeds himself. I never want to be a hidden reef. I never want to be a wave in the middle of the ocean or a star in complete and utter blackness. What I want to be known for is that when people said why, I said Jesus is the answer. And listen, I walk that into my life and we will all walk that into our lives in different ways. And it means we'll be passionate about things. It means we will have hope for things. It means we will want to change the world we live in and point back to Jesus. But if we start making those things the point, we will quickly find that we will lose our way. But instead, if we can say, in my salvation and in who I am, I love people the way Jesus loved them. I speak the truth the way Jesus spoke the truth. I walk in the ways Jesus walked. And when the question is why, it is not because I want something, it's because the servant is not greater than his master. Because this is what Jesus did, and he's the one who bought me. So what I want to give you is what reading Jude gave me, which is peace and hope. First of all, a lot of times right now, we talk about our country as this, you know, it's so crazy and everything's falling apart and it's so different. It's like, yeah, so was the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus. And I love that when Jude writes, we can connect to that. That we don't live in the only crazy time. It gives me peace to know that when these letters were written, there were struggles like what we're struggling with now. That when Jude writes, and that is, these are people who looked and saw Jesus, right? We are still in the generation of people who said, yeah, he was dead, then he wasn't, and then he just disappeared into heaven, right? Like, these are the people who saw it, and still, they had to hear it. And so we too need to hear it, to be on guard, to say, no, 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 when we encounter those kinds of teachers who say, this isn't the way, it all comes back to who he is, to his mercy, to his power. And it is never him plus. Instead, we look at those things and we say, wow, when my life isn't following his, it's not about then trying to gain it back. It's about returning to the cross and saying, Lord, I didn't do it. I messed up again. I fell down again. We have mercy. Instead of trying to twist the gospel, for power, for authority, for social change. We say, no, 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 this is about Jesus. And he has power, and he has authority, and he is the social change. And so we watch what happens as we proclaim him. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for Jude. We thank you for the reminder that there are those out here who are lost. And what they are doing is they are taking your message and trying to twist it and change it to find some kind of power, to find some kind of authority that is not yours. And Lord, may we be aware and may we watch out when those things enter into our world. Lord, we pray that as we consume media and content and the world around us, that we would put it all through the filter of who you are. And Lord, we also pray for the challenge of living in the tension that says we are a people who walk out in the name of Jesus, who serve our communities, who love our neighbors, who stand up for truth in love and who do all those things, but we do it not because it's the end goal, but that's because you have called us to live in that way. Let us never be confused in what brings us salvation, but instead let us work and live our lives in a way that declares that salvation for us. Lord, we pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.